It's playful, it's funny, it's so human, so hopeful, and so unreligious. Hey everyone, uh, Ryan here. And the theme of today is the unexpected. Have you ever had a story or something happen to you that's been unexpected? Uh, just a quick story for me is we, we had some friends, we've only known them for a few months and they, they invited us to live with them. It was supposed to be for one week. It turned out to be for a whole month. And so it was unexpected for both parties, but it ended up being such a blessing for my family. So last week we learned that a downcast Peter, not knowing what to do with himself, decided to do the one thing he knew how to do and that's fishing. That was pretty common for a guy to do when needing to clear his head, and hence why the others with him said, yeah, we're gonna go with you too. But as we learned previously, Peter and the guys have been through a lot these past two weeks. You have this emotional high, a triumphal entry into Jerusalem, palm branches, palm branches waving, crowd shouting, Hosanna! And then you have Jesus getting arrested, tortured, executed, entombed, and then something fantastic beyond belief happens. The two Marys have seen him alive. And better yet, he wants to meet everyone again in Galilee. Now, this is very exciting, especially for Peter. Since you know, he's probably been thinking about this, you know, the very thing he did that he said he wouldn't do, you know, denying Jesus three times. And Jesus told him he would do that. Now, there's a real small detail when, and it's easy to miss when reading these resurrection stories in scripture. And it helps understand why Peter behaved the way he did. This small detail is Jesus told them to meet him in Galilee. Now, the disciples are in Jerusalem, not necessarily a quick journey. I remember there's no bikes, cars, or airplanes, and Uber definitely hasn't been invented yet. So they had to walk, and you would, it, this walk would probably take three to six days, depending on how fast you, you could go. Now, that's an extremely long amount of time. Imagine you're Peter. That's a lot of time to process the events that just took place, to process how you wronged Jesus, to process how Jesus just appeared in a locked room where many of the disciples were. Realizing these things, I can now see why Peter was so excited to see Jesus standing on the shore. It's so excited that he put his clothes back on to jump from the boat and swim ashore. Who does that? I know when I fish, I usually do it with my clothes on in the first place. So Peter's very excited. But let's continue with this story. So Peter is on shore and then the boat fresh off this large catch, is heading in as well. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. With fish laid out on it and bread, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. Does this blow any of your minds? Is Jesus doing what I think he's doing? Is he barbecuing on the beach? The disciples get to shore and they see this. Now, this isn't the real photo. Um, I mean, they were fishing in a boat. Uh, they weren't shore fishing. 
but everything else in this picture is historically accurate. You can trust me on that. So there's already fish and bread being cooked. And I find myself wondering, how long was he watching them before he blessed them with this large catch? Did he have this funny little smirk on his face while he was making the, the fire, grilling some fish and the bread, and then watching from a distance as his friends struggle to catch anything? I remember the first time I read this patches and how it brought such a smile to my face. I mean, this is Jesus, the Son of God, the King of Kings, the man with all authority, the man who just conquered death, ransomed mankind, been restored to his father, his friends, and to the world he made. And he's in this afterglow of this greatest triumph and the greatest battle in the history of the universe. And he's barbecuing? I mean, shouldn't it be like when he took Peter, James, and John to the top of the mountain and he was transfigured before them with his face was glowing and his, his clothes were so white that it was like a light? No, it's better. It's playful. It's funny. It's so human, so hopeful, and so unreligious. And it's these particular qualities that gives the passage its true character and gives us an essential for knowing Jesus as he really is. That's why I smile. It's Jesus' character demonstrated here. I mean, we've spent the last six weeks examining the character of Jesus, and this is another example of how awesome he really is. How relatable he truly is to us. That he would resurrect and make breakfast for us. But, all right, I could go on about this. I love breakfast, but we got to continue on. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Time out. Peter has got to be absolutely thrilled that he's with Jesus again, because why else would he go by himself to haul ashore 153 fish? And not just any fish, but they were large fish. Let's circle back to something we previously learned when Jesus was using the same miracle he did with Peter before. And we had finished speaking. He said to him, Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. So the first time this happened, they tried to pull the nets with a large amount of fish and the nets were breaking. But now the second time, John mentions that although there were so many, the net was not torn. Now I didn't catch this before, but it's a curious mention by John. Could, could it be a signal to Peter that all things are new now? Jesus just conquered sin. And what happened in the past is now strengthened in Christ. Now this is just a random thought, but maybe keep this in your head for later. So after Peter lugs the fish on shore, it's my favorite part, breakfast. Jesus eats with his friends. Now remember, the guys were out all night fishing. 
So there's two things. They've got to be tired and they've got to be hungry. And here's Jesus, still eager to serve them, even after this giant thing he just did of assuming all their sin. What a poignant moment for the disciples that were there. This had to stick with them the rest of their lives. I mean, I know it did with Peter because in Acts 10, it says this, but God raised him on the third day and made him appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Jesus was still doing Jesus things even after the resurrection. Now, each of the gospels recount how Jesus would share meals with sinners and be called out for it. We see in Matthew eleven nineteen, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So you know, I don't know why I, I get so shocked that Jesus would want to have breakfast with his friends on the beach that day. It's something he did with them all the time. It would have been familiar to them. It would have put them back in a relational place that they knew it was Jesus. That's why John mentions that no one questioned it was him, because they knew Jesus this way. They have seen this scene before in more ways than one. I mean, it almost makes this passage even better, that he wasn't too busy to stop and take time to sit and enjoy a meal with them again. Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. So after breakfast, Jesus seizes the moment, or perhaps gets to the point of why he set this whole scenario up. It's set up for a perfect learning opportunity, the reinstatement of Peter. So maybe you've noticed that in this final chapter of John, there's a lot of focus on Jesus and Peter. Now, in fact, did you know that the Gospel of John actually ends at the end of chapter 20? I mean, you can look it up. At the end of the chapter, John gives the purpose for this book. It could have ended right there. It was done. But the events that took place in chapter 21 were far too important not to mention. So, anybody a fan of Marvel movies? They're famous for the extra clips they put in at the end of each movie during the credits. You know, and everyone knows to wait for it. You feel kind of awkward sitting in the theater, we're like, am I allowed to leave yet? But everyone knows what's about to come. It usually shows a very important information about what's next coming in the series for the movies. Or sometimes it's to wrap up something in a movie that still needs to be finished. And that's what this is. It's a bonus clip in the Gospel of John. John was ahead of his time. John gives such high detail of what Peter was doing. He jumped from the boat in all his clothes. He hauled 153 fish to the shore by himself. And finally, what we're going to read here next, in the final recorded interchange between the fisherman and Jesus, it's no coincidence that this interrogation proceeds the way it does. When they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. A couple of things to note here. First is Jesus is still sticking with this theme of replaying the first encounter he had with Jesus by calling him Simon, son of John. And the second is the word love. Now, I know all of you are probably caught up on your Greek, but um, there are three words in Greek that can be translated into the English word love. One of them is eros, which refers to like sexual love. 
then you have phileo, which is generally translated as brotherly love. That's why the city of Philadelphia is known for it, as a city of brotherly love. And the third is agape, which is the highest form of love expressed in the New Testament. It's a spiritual love rooted in God's power, and it happens to be the form Jesus used when addressing Peter. But what's interesting is that Peter replies back with phileo. Now remember, Peter has had a lot to think about and the fact that he denied him three times and living with this guilt that he has. And it's that guilt has got to be at play here, causing him to feel like he's not worthy to agape Jesus. I equate it to when my six-year-old you know, gets in trouble, and after a period of time out, I go in and have my dad talk, and I wrap up my dad talk with a, a look him in the eyes, and I say, I love you so much, buddy. And all I get back is this mumbled, I love you too, dad. But anyways, the last thing to note in this exchange is uh, when he says, do you love me more than these? There's a lot of debate about what is meant by the word these. You know, perhaps Jesus was, was gesturing over to the boat and the things that have been such an integral part of Peter's life. You know, the fishing nets, the fishing equipment. In other words, his career. Am I more important than your career? You know, some say that he's asking, do you love me more than your fellow disciples? And then the final possibility is, is he asking, do you love me more than these other men love me? Now, personally, if I had to take a guess, I would say that these, Jesus is referring to, is this third option. Because in Luke 7, Jesus says, he who is forgiven little loves little. And you can take the, the contrary of that. And that's, he who is forgiven much, loves much. That's what Jesus is trying to drive home with Peter in this moment. And Peter is understanding that of all the, the disciples surviving, he had betrayed Jesus the most. And through this exchange, through the reinstatement of Peter, it, it, not just in reinstatement in the fellowship of Christ, in Christ, but later in eventually the ministry of Christ as Peter leading others. And so he would see the grace of God more fully than the rest. So realizing the true form of agape love and teaching it to others. That's why Jesus finishes his first question with, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Jesus again asked, do you agape me? And Peter says, you know this, I phileo you. Then Jesus turns the tables and he asks a third time. But this time, Jesus says, do you phileo me? And I, I think it just stung Peter. It says he is grieved by this. And I wonder if it all sank in at that moment. Because he calls out, you know everything. You know that I love you. Recognizing that Jesus was right when he said that he would deny him. And 
Peter realizing he made a prideful statement that he would never fall away no matter what others did. And that turned out to be not true. But did you guys catch what Jesus is doing? Three times Peter said that he did not know Jesus. Now three times he has stated that he loved Jesus. This isn't a coincidence. Either is the fact that Jesus mentioned this reinstatement of Peter right before he mentioned to him that he was going to deny him. Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. I love this. This is one of my go-to teachings of Jesus. It's a reminder that yes, you may fail, but there's this amazing thing called God's grace and forgiveness, demonstrated by this, what I like to call a hand grenade of a comma in this verse. And when you have turned again, boom, grace, strengthen your brothers, feed my sheep. Jesus offers this to all of us who do a 180 and turn back towards God. In other words, repent. How cool is that? Jesus finishes this exchange with Peter with a simple, follow me. Just as he did three years before when they met along the same lakeside. And what also is cool is one time Peter denied Jesus by a fire. Now beside a different fire, Peter is redeemed. What a beautifully woven event from the barbecue to the callbacks to the grace by the fire. The imagery displayed here is a wonderful demonstration of Jesus's character. You know, it's the intimacy, the thoughtfulness, and the playfulness. You know, I don't know about you, but I want to grab breakfast with this Jesus. But before I wrap up, I noticed something when I was writing this. The events that took place during these verses were familiar to me. What I notice Jesus doing is something we want all at kingship to practice in their lives. And that's to, to bless someone, to eat with someone, and learn from Christ. All that took place in this scripture. Jesus blessed them with a large catch. Jesus made and ate breakfast with them. And then Peter learned an amazing lesson in God's grace. I mean, Jesus asked us to follow me. So we should do exactly that. So who in your life can you bless? It doesn't have to be 153 salmon caught up on the Columbia River. It can be something small like babysitting someone's kids so the parents can go out and they can reconnect. Or who can you eat with? Who is God putting on your heart to go grab a cup of coffee with? Or you know, something you could, you could bring over a pre-made meal to a family to share together so they don't have to worry about dinner that day. Finally, how is your time with God? Do you need more quiet time in this crazy life we live? Or how are you doing diving into the Word to read more amazing events like this one? I mean, if Jesus is doing it, we should do it.